Welcome to the podcast. My name's Ian. And my name's Tony, and this is Tennis Today. Say there are moments when he switched off and he switched off there, but then he produces a shot like that. Outrageous even by his dad. All right, Tony, so we are back to recording at night again, just like it all began a week ago. <laughs> it's only been a week. Yeah, Whoa. can you believe it? <laughs> oh, nice. Good week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, a little bit of a scheduling issue today with, with us. I mean, I know we spent a lot of time on court today, didn't you? Yeah, I had kind of a weird schedule today, like 7 to noon and then 5 to 8. Little time yeah. for a nap in between, but it was one of those days where I didn't really particularly look at it. But then I was like, oh, wow, I'm I'm on court a lot. It was, uh, yeah, it was that, a good one. That is that is a lot of time on court. I, I feel like if I – I know a lot of times you're doing the lessons and you're feeding – I deal with some arm pain when I play, and I don't know if I could put in that many hours every single day as you. So I, I don't know if what, you deal with uh, anything like that. What is your string situation like? I don't know. I think I need. I mean, I've been. I've I've tried different things. I've tried to reduce the tension. I'm using yeah. a multi filament right now, uh, okay. but it's just a, it's a stiff racket. It's the it's Babelot Pier Strike. So tonight midnight, the new one comes out. You 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 best believe oh, I'm wow. going to order it. So yeah, all right. It looks good. Like I like the design. Yeah, it's, it's pretty kind clean. of it's it's pretty much it, they didn't change much about the way it looks, but um, apparently the new one's supposed to have a dampening agent that makes it a little bit more arm friendly. So yeah, I'm excited to to order that one. So in addition to staying up tonight to catch the first uh, at least the first women's match, I'm staying up till midnight so I can place an order for the new Babylon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah. Very nice. Um, with all the time on court, so we, we kind of coined a new segment last episode. We somehow always manage to talk about what you're eating. So um, <laughs> no sponsor yet, but uh, no sponsor. this is uh, the segment that uh, what's what's Tony eating today? So uh, okay. what did you get between uh, your court time? This one, this one kind of caught me off guard. I, I love this, by the way. But I, when I looked at the <laughs> notes, I was like, oh, OK. So, OK, between, uh, you know, my sessions today. I went to Chipotle. Nice. I went and I and I have a very uh, I pretty much order the same thing every time. I like to go with a bowl, no lettuce. I do like to get the dressing though. Okay. Uh, white rice, black beans. I'll go usually double steak. Sometimes wow. like today, yeah, dude, I get hungry. So going for it. I today I did steak and carne asada. Not bad. I still kind of prefer double steak, but carne asada not bad. Uh, Corn, mild, no cheese, um, and that's it. No guac. I will get I will get large chips though, because okay. I like to kind of like scoop it in the chips and eat it. And uh, yeah, just water basically. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a typical. Usually, just because there was a big gap between sessions today, I was like, all right, I'm gonna get double. Like usually, that's kind of like an end of day type of deal. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my typical Chipotle order. What uh, what do you do at Chipotle? I there isn't anyone. I, we're in the middle of nowhere, man. I, there isn't a Chipotle Whoa. anywhere close by. I actually couldn't even tell you the last time I went to Chipotle. But I will give you my like going into. I actually did play tennis today. It's a little little cooler nice. temps up here, but. Um, I, I have to eat like a couple hours before I play. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I'm still digesting a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm like I'm really big on um, having carbs and a protein. So uh, today, for instance, it was just like, you know, we just had some like Mexican chicken and rice nice. kind of situation. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, that's my own version of Chipotle, I guess, that I'm making <laughs> over here. But <laughs> Yeah, it's mainly for me out of convenience because I am yeah. not – a great cook or I wouldn't even say a cook whatsoever. I'll, I'll make a peanut butter sandwich. And if I'm fancy, we'll do bananas and maybe a little bit of honey. So okay. it's out of convenience. It's like, I just hop on over there. I have a decent meal and we're good to go. But nice. uh, wow. Oh, hi, man. Yeah. You guys are, you get, you have a different, yeah, there's nothing. There. We don't, there's no chain restaurants. There's pretty much oh. no fast food options. I mean, yeah, we're not close to anything. I mean, we were talking about In-N-Out a couple episodes ago. I mean, the closest right. one's like a 25-minute drive away from here. So, wow. yeah. 
okay. Yeah. Well, so it's all dude, it's all homemade meals over here. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm like I'm I got the little like the lunch baggie that I'm bringing with me down to the court sometimes. Well, I remember maybe it was on air first episode. I was like, "What are you drinking over there?" And you were like, "This is a, a lemonade I made from lemons in my backyard." Yeah. yeah. Oh well, here's here's my segment. This is my turn. This is yes. what's Ian drinking. And tonight, since we're recording so late, I'm having a chamomile tea. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've actually, I, I have a new new year's resolution and it, I guess it's related to tennis, but I'm doing dry January this, this year and it's going great. I feel fantastic. I just in general have like more energy and for a big nice. piece of it for me is like wanting to spend more time on the courts and, you know, I don't know, just general body health. So I have a tea every single night that definitely helps me, um, and you know we're recording at night, so here's my tea. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Any? How about you? Any New Year's resolutions that you know Oof. tennis related for this year? Yeah, and I mean I guess it's kind of right in par with your you know typical basic stuff. But um, and this kind of started before New Year's, but just trying to get physically into better shape. So um, if you've been following my Instagram, you see my stories. Five a.m. workouts. So I I'm been really focused on trying to kind of just I've never really been a, a gym guy I've I've done yoga I've obviously played a, a ton of tennis in my life but just trying to build up some core strength I'm not trying to get jacked or anything like this but just to be stronger I did go through kind of a major injury last year I that required wrist surgery so after that I was kind of like all right I need to really you know make a concerted concerted effort to take care of my body so um yeah going uh Nike opened like a, a fitness gym over uh like 10 minutes away from where I live. And uh, so I've been on that basically, obviously taking a little bit of a break from it this week because going to sleep at like 2 a.m. and waking up at four to go work out at five is a little rough. But uh, yeah, you bet once this, uh, once the Australian summer is over, I'll be, I'll be back there. Um, So yeah, a little bit more of like just trying to stay fit, you know, doing some weights and nothing too crazy, but I've been told I've been getting quicker around court, which is nice. Mm. I feel I feel quicker. Nice. Um, so yeah, pretty much pretty much just that, and that sort of leads into maybe playing a few tournaments this year. So we'll see. Uh, nice. We'll see how that goes. I was I was pretty disappointed with uh, some of my performances on court last year when it came to uh, like uh, ladder matches and stuff like that. Courts did a ladder, and I uh, I took some L. If you're unfamiliar with what uh, the courts on Instagram. In LA, they do a kind of like a ladder every year that leads into a tournament, and uh, yeah, I found that my level was uh, not quite where I thought it was. Yeah, well, that's that's yeah. There's there's nothing more humbling than kind of seeing where you're at stacked up against everybody else, especially in Southern California. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we got a bunch today. We might end up splitting this episode up into two, just because there's so much going on. Um, obviously, recording this as late as we are, we have uh, women's semifinal matches that are going to be starting here in just about two and a half hours. Um, so there, we, we might end up splitting this up and just kind of yeah, using this episode to recap some of uh, the quarterfinals briefly, talk about the women's matches that are going to be on tonight and um, some other notable news in the tennis world. Um, and if there's a good spot for it, we might end up just splitting this up. Uh, covering the men's side, talking about the men's semifinal and putting that up right after so that um, everybody can listen in on that. Um, But yeah, I mean, even without the quarterfinals and without the semifinals coming, there was a lot of other news going on. Um, One of the notes that we had, um, I saw you posted something about Nadal's comeback. I think that's official now, right? It's confirmed. That's official. Yeah. He's uh, starting in Doha, which I believe is a 250. It might even be a 500. I'm not sure where it's at. But yeah, the the news kind of leaked last week of like, you know, it seems like he's going to be ready to come back for that. And then um, the tournament entries came out and his name was on the list, but no official word from him. And then I think it was yesterday or maybe the day before where it's like, all right, he's he's going to be there in Doha. And then obviously that leads into uh, Dubai which will then lead into, I don't know if he's going to play Acapulco or, you know, anything before Indian Wells and the Sunshine Double. I don't, we don't know the full, you know, extensiveness, but he will be back, um, which is a lot sooner than I expected. I kind of just assumed, 
all right, well, he kind of has nothing left to prove when it comes to like, I don't know, the hard court season this early in the year. Like he'll just come back for the clay season, but uh, color me surprised. Yeah, no, that's great. And I know you and I are probably going to be at Indian Wells together. So really hope that he makes it back for that. I mean, good sign because Doha, I just looked it up. It is a 250 event, begins um, February 19th. So not too far from the beginning of Indian Wells. So let's keep our fingers crossed, the the good things there, and that we'll end up seeing him at least one more time. (laughs) Yeah. Have you you gotten to see him play? I've seen him live. I've seen him live um, at the U.S. Open twice Uh, or once i really i can't remember um i I, he just like destroyed somebody in the first you know it was no it was like third or fourth round at the u.s open i might have seen him and it just wasn't even you know it wasn't even fair it was nice we're probably talking four or five years ago so you know peak peak nadal really right nice you got to see him live too oh man i was lucky i got i got to catch him was it 2021 where uh he came back against corda Remember that match? Corda had him kind of on the ropes. Kind of. Because that, that is like, that's when I was really like big on Corda. And I was like, wow, you know, this is, holy you'll cow. remember it. Remember the, the poo shorts, the Adidas shorts that had like. <laughs> yes. The, yes. <laughs> that had the is, like the faded color. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, poo uh, the poo shorts. So this is, yeah, this is kind of where those memes came from because he really kind of like pooped himself there in the third set. Like he, it, so Rafa came nice. back. And then a few days later, I got to watch him practice, which was awesome. And then yeah. uh, him against Carlos in the semi. Yeah, wow. it was a semi. And it was that crazy match that went three sets. They had like a full-on windstorm in the middle of it. This is where, um, well, this is that season where Rafa started the year winning like 19 matches in a row or something. Fractured a rib or something during the match and plays the final against Fritz and like kind of wasn't there and obviously Fritz wins that that tournament but uh yeah that was the last time I saw Rafa and luckily I got to see some really great matches and like a really intense practice session nice nice yeah well happy to see that he's at least trending towards coming back um you know and hopefully we'll get to see him at Indian Wells again so man maybe maybe Novak too don't know what he'll do but maybe both that would be it'd be wild bonkers yeah um, some other news. I sent you an article actually just before we hopped on. Uh, did you get a chance to, to look at that one? I did. Yeah. So, um, for the listeners that haven't checked it out, uh, Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova wrote an opinion piece through the Washington post, um, opposing the WTA finals being hosted in Saudi Arabia, uh, citing Saudi law and its limitations on women's rights, uh, the criminalization of LGBTQ plus community and penalizing um, activists, uh, you know, within the community. And uh, it was a, I, it was a pretty, it was a short article, not like too in depth, but it's great to see two of the legends of the sport just really standing on the morals of the WTA and how the WTA has been founded. And um, a few of the current players have been asked about it, Coco Golf most recently, and, she gave a, a pretty, um, she gave a good answer. She basically said that, you know, she understands the concerns and she has those concerns as well. Um, but that at least the WTA has been a little bit more vocal about some of the decision-making and she hopes that the players are going to have some sort of a say, uh, in, in what happens there. But, um, yeah, pretty good article. I don't know if you had any thoughts on it. Yeah. It's a tough situation. I would say for the WTA, because, Obviously, there's been rumors for a while now of some financial issues of where, you know, where are they going to get funds from? Um, and obviously, you know, it, it's kind of a cash grab to, all right, let's send it over to, you know, Saudi and the PIF. But I, I think, I don't know, I, I like the, how did they put it, the moral, uh, sort of like a moral guideline for or a moral charter for the WTA. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, not getting too deep into like, the geopolitical scale of the world, but it, it's just not a good look, I guess, to kind of align and affiliate, especially if there's, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, LGBTQ like players. And, you know, what are you going to do if like, can I go to this tournament? Is it legal for me? Am I comfortable? Um, it's just kind of messy. And I'm, I'm not sure if there's, I, I'm sure there's got to be other ways in, of funding the WTA that's not just kind of outright, almost in a way selling selling its soul uh because i i think the 
the sub article or the subheading was like we didn't build up this sport to just give it away, yeah. uh, which I thought was a very nice way to put that. Yeah, yeah, and the the quote at the very end is the last line from the article, and I, I really liked it. Actually, this is what I posted. It says, "A champion is carved not just from trophies or earnings, but from the decision to surrender comfort and luxury to make hard choices and take principled stands." Loved that. I mean, they are just two absolute icons, and and the point that you make and the point that they make about um, not just the players but the people attending, um, staff, you know, that that are going to be there to help set everything up and run the tournament. You know, all these are all people who um, are, would would have valid concerns uh, moving the tournament there. What yeah. you know, what what type of things um, you know could happen to them, for instance. You know, it, it's 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 a dicey situation, and um, you know, nice to see a couple legends of the sport speaking out against it. So, yeah, and it seems like I mean, we'll see in the next coming week or so. But I feel like last year there was quite a few players pushing back. Yeah. on the idea of hosting the WTA finals out there. And uh, WTA listened and kind of made a, you know, a very last-minute decision that ended up being in Cancun, and that was also not great. But, um, yeah, it'll be something interesting to keep track of because it, it does feel like there's going to be a shift of whether there's a merger between ATP, WTA, or some injection of funding from somewhere. Um but yeah, it's uh, it's good to see the legends kind of speaking out and taking a stand, and hopefully that kind of leads to current players being able to do the same thing. Um, other news, uh, doubles is we. It's not something that we've really covered on here. Just uh, honestly, just between the two of us, there's just so much tennis to watch. It's difficult. It's not that I don't watch doubles. I think <laughs> um, I, I do tune in every once in a while, especially when um, there's particular players that I really like that are playing. Um, but it's just tough. It's impossible to cover everything. But um, some great news. Uh, Rohan Bopana becomes the world number one doubles player, uh, his highest ever ranking, first time he's ever made it that far um, at age 43. Unbelievable. Um, he's been attached to the hip with uh, Ebden. They've been a fantastic doubles pairing. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that we included a shout out to that because that really is a pretty remarkable achievement. Yeah, it's amazing. And I feel like, uh, you know what? I've seen him play at Indian Wells with Shapo before a couple of years yep. ago. Yep. Yeah. And that was, I mean, obviously you see him on the court. It's like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is the best player on the court in this double situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just a great story of just, you know, keep pushing. Most players are well done and retired by this point. And uh, he's peaking. <laughs> so yeah. it's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. Well, let's uh, we'll talk about the quarterfinals. Um, we don't want to spend too much time on it because it really, it's going to be old news by the time uh, many people are going to be listening to this. Um, but the uh, first night of the quarterfinals, we had uh, Goff versus Kostyuk, Djokovic versus Fritz, Sabalenka versus Krajikova, and Sinner uh, versus Rublev. Um, so kind of going from the top to the bottom there, the ones that I just mentioned, Goff ends up coming through uh, in three sets. Uh, first set, she was down 1-5 before coming back to win it in a tiebreak. That match was a mess. I don't. Did you watch that one? <laughs> I I watched after the I watched the second set. So I just I was out to dinner and I was looking at the tweets and it was like 50 plus on four stairs or something. Brutal. Where they just said this is this is uh, kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. And the takeaways from that one, um, through two sets, they were both struggling to hold serve. They were kind of both serving at around 50% uh, on their first serves. Um, at the time that the second set ended, they were already at about 40 unforced errors each. Um, the big takeaway for me, since Coco Goff's the one that advanced, that's kind of the one that we're really looking at here. How's, how's she going to, you know, what is she carrying into the next round? Um, her forehand was not doing enough damage. Kostya kind of picked that up. Um, she was hitting three times as many, uh, three times more winners than Coco Goff was. And that was really because the ball was hanging too high. She just kind of couldn't buy a forehand there. So just a potential issue to look out for going into the semifinal. I don't think Coco Goff is playing her best tennis right now. She's winning in spite of that, which is a positive. Um, but, uh, yeah, really, really, really sloppy match. And, uh, at the end of it, um, the stat for me that jumped off the screen I wrote down here is, there's 246 points played in that match, and 107 of them 
were decided by an unforced error. That's 43% of the points. That, wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> that's that's like us, man. That's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Man. Yeah, uh, that's, so we had, nice. yeah, it was really, it, it was rough. I mean, it was entertaining in a weird, um, <laughs> ca- captivating way. You're like, how bad can this get? Kostiuk's body language was awful. She was kind of pouting and throwing fits on the court because she was so frustrated. Um, yeah, it was, it was rough. It was a rough watch. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, well, I'm sure the quality will be higher tonight against Sabalenka. She's going to have her hands full. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, and then we had, uh, Djokovic beating Fritz in four. Um, this is one you got a chance to watch, right? I was tuned in and just, you know, keeping it kind of short. I mean, this is kind of classic Novak. He's going to, he's going to bring out probably the best tennis of his opponent's life and still beat him in four sets or almost straight sets. Because, uh, uh, yeah, Fritz played great. I mean, he was even doing a few of the things that, uh, you know, I was kind of looking for him to at least try, getting forward to the net. It wasn't perfect. Obviously, his touch isn't the same as Novak's, but he was taking the ball early, coming forward, using the backhand down the line, serving well. I From, from the get-go, the first game where it was like, six deuces or whatever it was and he fought off all those break points i was kind of like oh my god we're we're in a dogfight from the first game so yeah. um yeah it was great obviously a little bit of a, a dip in level after losing the first set novak just kind of cleaned his game up and uh served fantastic his serve i think is pretty underrated when it comes to it feels like anytime he's in a tight spot a 30 all or a 15 30 he'll come up with an ace or an unreturned serve and just kind of like quiet down any type of window into getting broken. So um, I think he was even up in the ace percentage range of something like 20%, which is like John Isner type of numbers, which is kind of insane because you don't really think of Novak as having like the biggest serve. But um, yeah, tough match. Shout out to Taylor. Good fight. He's somebody that... I don't know why, but whenever I see him in like kind of like a dogfight like this, I'm, I'm I'm surprised of like, wow, you know what? He's hanging. I, in my head, I always kind of think like, oh, he's kind of soft. He's subdued and chill. But like, shout out to him. He he held his own, played great, and just just got beat by a better player. Yeah, first set went an hour and twenty four minutes. Um, the second set, Djokovic's serving got a little dicey. Couple double faults there. Um, one of the statistics from this one was uh, Djokovic went uh, 0 for 15 at one point on the break points, which was, um, I, I don't know that he's ever had a streak like that in any match. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. I mean, and Kyrgios commentated that one. Did you get a chance to uh, uh, listen to it through Kyrgios's commentating and have any takeaways from that? So I uh, I wasn't quite sure what to expect with Kyrgios's commentating. I, I did. So I listened to, I love following basketball and I listened to quite a few basketball podcasts. So uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce have one and they did like a live stream for the NBA in season tournament final. And I was just kind of tuned in watching. And then all of a sudden Nick Kyrgios comes on the show. And it's like, what, what is happening? <laughs> and he was good. Like he was like almost more insightful than Paul Pierce. Cause they kind of just talk, they chop it up and mess around. But like Nick was good on that. And I was like, wow. Okay. Like, you know what, if he's interested in something, I'm sure he has a lot to say about it. And I wasn't quite sure if I was going to get that Nick or the Nick that's on Twitter saying, you know, going back and forth with Boris Becker and, uh, I was I was kind of happy with the the coverage. It was, you know, kind of a little back and forth between him and the McEnroe's and just, you know, keeping it, you know, kind of vibey, laughing at like some ridiculous shots and just being like, oh, my God. Like, so uh, I didn't mind it at all. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I was fine. I I felt like it was a little too love affair, like moving <laughs> off with one another in the box. Um talking about unrelated stuff while like, you know, the match is still going on. It was, it was fine. Sure. I mean, it, I, I thought the insights were, were good. And I, I really, I thought Curios was going to um, spend a lot more time on the microphone, but he did a good enough job just kind of um, picking, picking and choosing when he was going to include something. But then there'd be times where like nobody was talking and I was kind of like, where, you know, where's the flow here? Who's going to come in with a stat or something with, you know, so it was, right. it was okay. But like, yeah, I mean, outside of some of the, 
issues that I had with it. I didn't think he did a bad job. I thought, you know, it was fun. It was definitely, it was different, you know? Yes. Yeah. It, it, it certainly wasn't the most like professional broadcast. Yeah, that's right. But it that's was, right. It, it's kind of like, Hey, you know what? It's like Manning cast, you know, how they're all like yes. for, for the NFL, how they're all kind of just like goofing off and like laughing and joking about stuff with one another. And then you're like, all right, can we talk about what's happening on the screen? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's uh, I mean, shout out to, I guess this is ESPN. Like they're trying yeah. something different. Why not? Yep. I mean, I, I do kind of like, um, NBA, the TNT show with Shaq and Charles Barkley and Kenny the Jet, that's like one of my favorite things to watch, especially during the NBA playoffs. And they kind of just clown around and talk a little bit. And it's, uh, eh, why not try something different? Obviously, it won't be for every tournament, but it kind of makes sense for the Australian Open. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the next quarterfinal match we had, it was uh, Sabalenka versus Krajikova. I don't have a lot to say about this match. Um, Sabalenka takes it in straight sets. Uh, it started two hours and 15 minutes late. So there's that. Um, they had all those uh, delays because of the early matches, uh, pushed everything back a little bit further. Um, the match only goes just over an hour. Um, and really the only things that I had from this one is uh, Sabalenka. Uh, she had uh, 20 winners versus Krajikova six uh, rallies under five shots. Um, were relatively even, but anytime it went more, uh, five or more, uh, arena won 78% of the time. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty standard for a straight sets victory. That was, you know, not too difficult for Sabalenka and, um, Sabalenka went up four, one in both of those sets. So she was always in control and, uh, and yeah, she makes her six, uh, straight grand slam, uh, semifinal. Right. Yeah. Is that, uh, did I see that correctly? Where it's like, she's the first to do that since Serena. That's right. That's, that's pretty big. Yeah. Great company to be in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, tier one versus tier two there, just, you know, straight up there's, there's the difference. So, you know, Krajikova is somebody that, you know, you feel like at a certain point last year, knocking on the door, I think she won Dubai and beat, uh, was it all three of them? Did she beat Lena, Arena and Iga? I just remember it was like a really sure. good, it was a really good showing where it's like, oh, all right, she's there. Um, but yeah, not, uh, Arena looks too good. I mean, she's comfortable. I think I spoke on it last time. She's messing around with her coaches, you know, so um, yeah, not much there. Pretty straightforward. I mean, our, so far, I think our picks have done pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some of them better than others, but yeah, so far, uh, yeah, on point. Nothing yep. un- unexpected there. Yeah, and the last match from that night uh, was one that we were really excited for. It didn't end up um, being quite what we thought it was, uh, w- what it would be, which is uh, Sinner uh, winning in straight sets over Rublev. Um, Sinner hasn't dropped a set still. Uh, Rublev hasn't won a quarterfinal at a slam still. He's 0-10 there. Um, stats for this one were pretty even, uh, which is surprising. But, you know, it's, it's one of those matches where Sinner just won a lot of the critical points. Yeah, he attacked Rublev's second serve. I mean, not like just straight out right winners, but just deep down the middle, getting to the patterns he was looking for. Um, yeah, would have would have hoped it would have been a closer match. I think maybe part of that is just you know Rublev had a tough path. He didn't you know he didn't come in fresh, playing only you know straight sets victories. Um, tough to see him go zero and ten. Now we're in double digits on the quarterfinals, but uh, yeah, this was this was always going to be a tough one for him, even if he was going to be coming in, you know, fresh and ready. Um, so yeah, Sinner looks, Sinner looks good. And well, he's got his hands full on the next one too. Um, so that brings us into the second night of the quarterfinals. Um, so in order, you had Yastremska uh, beating Nostrova, uh, Medvedev beating Herkash, Zhang beating Kelinskaya and Zverev beating Alcarez late last night. Um, I have very few notes from the Yastremska Nostrova match. Um, she won in straight sets. It was very boring. <clears throat> Just perfectly <laughs> honest, I, I I did watch it. It was pretty boring. Um, Yastremska had 19 winners to Nostrova's six. Um, and one of the more surprising stats from this one, I think this kind of tells a lot about the match. So 89 uh, out of 116 total points played lasted four shots or less. So 77% of the match 
the rallies went four shots or less. And I wow. think a factor for that was I just don't think the level of play was that great. But it was it was hot. It was the middle of the day, and it was a warmer day. Um, the crowd wasn't into it, and the players just seemed very low energy, and the the you know it was, it was a little slow. Um, but, uh, yeah, she, Yastremska becomes the first qualifier, uh, to reach the semifinal at Melbourne, uh, since 1978. So, you know, it's, that, that's a good story in itself. That's, that's good for her. Yeah. Qualifier keeps on pushing through. Um, but yeah, I, I've got nothing on that match. I, I was out dinner, made it back in time for, for Medvedev basically. Yeah. Well, let's pick up there. So Medvedev ends up beating her cash in five. Um, that was to be the best match of the day between the four of them. Um, yep. so yeah, what are some notes you had from that one? Um, keeping it short. I mean, Medvedev looked cooked at the end of the fourth. I, he was ahead early in that set, let it get away from him, which we've kind of seen a couple times throughout the tournament where he has a chance to serve it out. And for whatever reason gets kind of squirrely, uh, leaves the court for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, which maybe we'll get into later, but he, you know, and I'm kind of surprised that he didn't get penalized because even I think it was, uh, who was commentating? It might've been McEnroe who was really kind of going in on that of like, Hey, you know, this is past the time limit. Why are they not doing anything about it? But he somehow got away with it. Um, and yeah, it looked like he was just kind of conserving his way throughout the fifth set, just holding serves and not really putting a lot of pressure on Hubie's serve. And uh, between, you know, the extended bathroom break and kind of making his way, I think it was three all, uh, you know, about 30 minutes had passed and he found his legs again. And, you know, they they at to start, I think it was the sixth game at three all. There was a really long extended rally and it was the first time Medvedev made it from sideline to sideline and ends up winning the point. Um, and then it, you could see a difference like, OK, he's making his push now gets the break and is able to basically just serve it out. He was doing, it was kind of back to to this version of Medvedev 2019, where he's just, you know, kind of like the wild chess master doing crazy things. He was returning serve from like on the baseline, which we never see him do. He was serving volleying, getting to net a lot, even if it wasn't clean. I I felt like every time he got to the net, he would make a volley and Hubie would have a shot at a passing shot because it wasn't a clean volley. But to his credit, he tried it and and it worked. And in the post match interview, he said, uh, "You know, yep, I was just going to try it, and if it didn't work, I was okay with it." And that's yeah. kind of like the the sort of the chaotic nature of like the 2019 Medvedev, where it was like you don't know what he's going to do, and he's perfectly comfortable losing a match trying something crazy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, not his cleanest match, but again, I feel like every round, like he just finds a way to get through. Yeah, he he definitely he even admitted um, just didn't really have the legs towards the end of the match. And he said he was, uh, I think his word for it was destroyed. Um, and <laughs> he looked like it a couple of times and Hercash had momentum. And going into the fifth, I felt really good about Hercash there. He was my pick for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Medvedev's just that that's just something you can, you, you always have to factor in in some of these longer or five set matches that, um, Medvedev is able to tap into something different um, and still find a way to win, and, and he did. So, mad scientist. Yeah, he sure is. <laughs> My favorite match of the night, too. Yeah. Um, so the other two matches that happened after hours was Zhang beating Kellen Skaya in three, a much better match than the first one. Uh, Zhang hit 10 aces, 42 winners. Uh, one of the stats that was pretty awesome was she won 11 out of 12 net points. So just kind of showing the diversity of her game there. She was serving really, really well, um, playing, you know, getting up to the net and hitting a lot of winners. She, her average speed on her shots was higher than Kellen Skaya's as well. Um, and if she were to get through the semifinal, her path to the finals, um, is without having to play anybody within the top 50 in the world, which is really crazy. Um, again, not to say that she isn't playing, uh, fantastically cause she, she has been, that was kind of one of my first times getting to really watch her. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, really, really good shot at making the final here and a, a strong match from her. Yeah, you can only beat who who's in front of you. And yep. I, I, I kind of, I, you know, it is what it is, but I, I do kind of hate those arguments of like, you know, oh, Casper well, Ruud made a Grand Slam final and never had to play anyone. It's like, 
it's not his fault. Like <laughs> the draw broke and he beat who was in front of him. So yeah, I agree. She's uh well this is what we talked about with some of the other players, you know, Svitolina, where it's like this was her opportunity and she's she's seizing it. So um we'll see if she can keep it going tonight. Yeah. And the last quarterfinal match was Zverev beating Alcaraz in four. Um, really surprise outcome here. Alcaraz just played downright bad. Um, I had to go back and watch uh, some of what I missed this morning. Um, Zverev looked like he was serving out of his mind. Uh, Carlos did make a little bit of a comeback in the third set. He was down 2-5. He ends up winning that one in a tie break. He kind of gave you that hope that there was going to be this epic five set that he was going to, you know, uh, push Verev all the way to the limit there. Um, And in the fourth set, it goes all the way to 4-4. And Zverev just kind of looked like he was hanging on. He was surviving Alcarez's onslaught. Um, Alcarez began to look a little bit more like himself. Um, but ultimately just not able to finish it off. I mean, a lot of mistakes from him and just a really, really sloppy game. And um, Zverev ends up winning that one in four sets. So um, did you get a chance to catch any of the highlights from that? Yeah, so I had uh, 7 a.m. lessons. So normally I like to get to the club early just to kind of settle in. And uh, so, yeah, I was up at five and I, I, I try to do this thing because... You know, it's like, all right, don't look at your phone when you wake up, your circadian rhythm and all of this. So this morning I was good about it. I woke up. I was just kind of, you know, drinking coffee sitting here. And I was like, all right, let me see what's going on. And I just saw like live updates of the match. And I was like, they are still playing. What the heck? So, uh, yeah, tuned in. Um, Yeah, that last game from Alcaraz was weird. Like just not even going for really much of anything on the backhands and just unforced airs and a really kind of deflating way for the match to end because it it seemed like, you know, it's kind of funny because it's like, was this a good result for Alcaraz losing in the quarters? Is this a disappointment or is this kind of like, all right, this is fine? Because uh, I, I think it's kind of like, this is fine. This is the furthest he's ever made it in the tournament. Um, but like we kind of hold him in this sort of, you know, esteem of like we see Novak and Rafa and Roger, these guys come back from, you know, two sets down and, you know, completely ridiculous situations. And it certainly felt like that for a little bit, but um, didn't go that way. Um, like you said, Zverev served unbelievable. I think it was something like his first serve percentage for the entire match was like over 80% or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was I, th- I think it was like 80, maybe it was 81 sounds right. Yeah, yeah I can't and, remember and I mean, the stat. It's not like a first serve that like we're just rolling in to start the point. It's like 125 plus. Yeah. Like it's it's big. Um, and yeah, I mean, we this was definitely, I think we both had the same pick. Our worst pick of the tournament had <laughs> Carlos in straights. And uh, man, was I wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's worth kind of like digging into this one a little bit. Um, you know... Now Alcaraz hasn't won a title since Wimbledon. Um, Mm -hmm. There's been questions about um, the schedule that he's crafting for himself. There's questions about his consistency. Um, I have my own thoughts here, but what do you think the, what do you think it is with Alcaraz and his struggles with consistency? So last year, like, cause he, he basically, you know, like you said, after Wimbledon, there was that great match against Djokovic in Cincinnati. He lost that one. He could have won it, but it's like, all right, fine. Uh, U.S. Open loses to Medvedev, which was kind of another shocker. That's something where I didn't even bother to watch the match because I just kind of figured, all right, well, like Carlos has got this. But it's kind of like, you know what? Medvedev played great, you know, made another slam final. This is not a complete surprise. Then you go indoors towards the end of the year, and that's where some of the results started becoming kind of like, what, you know, is there something going on here? And you go back to the year before, where post-US Open, he played so-so, had some kind of like eyebrow-raising losses, but it was like, well, you know, it's indoors, end of the season. And I kind of thought like, well, you know what, maybe maybe it's just indoors, it's too quick for him, he's tired, doesn't really care, post, you know, post-slam, you know, kind of come down. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It just seemed like today he was just trying to fight 
fire with fire and just trying to go big and it just wasn't working. It was a little too erratic. And this is obviously as good as he is kind of the scary part I would say about Alcaraz is like, there's still things he can do to, to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this instance, maybe doing some mad scientist stuff like Medvedev, which is completely flipping a strategy and trying something different. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say like, oh, he's down right now. I know the numbers are kind of showing it, but like a slam quarterfinal is pretty good. Like I, I know, you know, we have high expectations, but I'm not too concerned if this kind of leads into, you know, the, what do they call that? The golden swing where he, like the clay court tournaments that he won last year leading into Indian Wells and the sunshine double. If there's sort of a dip during this part of the season, I would say, okay, you know, maybe maybe there's something to it, but um, he didn't drop any points from this result because he didn't play Australian Open last year. So I don't know. I'm kind of not too concerned with it. How how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, sky's the limit for his potential. Um, one of the things that I didn't know was that Juan Carlos Ferreira wasn't at the Australian Open. Um, he has a surgery and he's not there right now. Um, so for me, he's somebody that he's kind of one of these younger players that's looking to his box a lot and looking for coaching and asking a lot of questions of his coaching team. It makes me wonder if there is a flaw in his ability to problem solve matches when something isn't going right. He kind of just has a way about his game where he really just knows how to overpower people and just blast them off the court or over, you know, work harder, even just get to more balls, make people have to play one more shot. But when that strategy isn't working, I haven't really seen a fallback plan for him. He's just used to that working for him all the time. So it just makes me wonder about his problem solving ability and whether he's developed other ways of playing his game where he can adapt to the situation the way a Novak Djokovic, you know, can, he's probably the master, um, maybe tennis history of, problem solving a match and finding what he needs to do or adjust his game to who he's playing or the scenario and finding a, you know, a different level. And I'm sure, you know, that, um, that, that comes from, um, just hours and hours of practice and developing fallback plans for different strategies throughout, you know, a match. And I, it just makes me wonder if Alcaraz has that built in and I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm not saying that he doesn't. Um, but this is kind of like when he loses, he loses and you're like, wow, okay. That, <laughs> that was surprising, you know? Um, so, you know, it just makes me wonder, is he too dependent on his coach Is he too dependent, you know, looking for direction? Does he not have that problem solving uh, DNA built into him the way that, you know, Djokovic and some of the uh, more experienced players do? Yeah, that's uh that's really good because yeah, you're absolutely right. Maybe one of the better front runners on the tour because he'll like you like you said he'll just blow people off the court and be like, all right, and uh, very very well said because yeah, I mean I remember that match against Novak in Cincinnati. You know, Wanki was you know very active with like, all right, try this, do this, mm-hmm. do that, and um, yeah, that is something like an upside. Like I said, where it's like okay, if, if he can improve on this, then you know, look out. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's wrap up this first half uh, talking about the women's semifinals that are going to be on just in a little bit here. Um, so the first match of the night is uh, Sabalenka versus Goff. Um, Goff has the head-to-head advantage 4-2. to two. Um, They last played, obviously, at the U.S. Open final last year. That went three sets. Um, I looked it up. Historically, they alternate wins. There's only one exception to that, which Coco beat Sabalenka on clay in Rome. But if you look at the rest of the matches, the, all the other ones, that's five, the other five, they're all on hardcore and they alternate who wins each time. And if you're going by that rule, 
Sabalenka would be next. And I know she's trying to get revenge for the U.S. Open. Another note that I had here, obviously one of the big factors for Coco Goff was uh, winning the U.S. Open. She's in front of a U.S. hometown crowd. She's not going to have that this time. And, you know, just quite honestly, Sabalenka's playing maybe the best tennis we've seen her play. And I don't think we can say the same thing for Coco Goff. Um, it's a final worthy semifinal that we're getting. So that's uh, incredible. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're both kind of coming into it. Um, I, you know, Coco Goff's undefeated right now, but just if you're looking at last match, you have to have some question marks over that one. Yeah, definitely. If it, if it wasn't for the last match, I would, I would have this being a little bit tighter, but uh I'm taking Sabalenka in two. I I think it's going to go three sets, but I agree with you. I do think Sabalenka is going to get her revenge, um, and they're going to keep up their trend of alternating wins on hard courts. Um, Second match of the night is going to be Zhang versus Yastremska. A little bit tougher to pick this one because they've never played each other before. Um, Yastremska coming in as a qualifier has spent a lot more time on court, four hours more. Um, Yastremska has also conceded, uh, twice as many break points as Zhang. And I think that has a lot to say about how well Zhang's been serving. Um, so for me, uh, going into this one, my pick is going to be Zhang and I want to say it's going to be in straight sets. I, I, I'm still, I'm wondering if Yastrzemska is going to run out of gas at some point here. Whoa, I'm I'm going to roll the dice Yastrzemska in three. I'm thinking, uh, you know what? She keeps it going. There's something. There's some type of magic about this run, and uh, I mean it's going to be close, but uh, I like her chances. I think she's just going to keep it rolling. All right, all right. Um, and I guess if we're looking at the four finalists here, and we uh, we wanted to you know, just for fun, let's uh, rank them from one to four. Who do you want to see win the whole thing and why? Starting with, you can start with four, you can start with one, whichever you want to do. Um, Who do I want? Not like who I think is going to win, but who would I Yes, like if you could have your pick from first to Whoa. fourth, who do you want to see win it? I would like to see Coco win it. Obviously, I picked against her. I don't exactly think this is going to happen, but... I think it would be very interesting just for the the narrative of the WTA of like, you know, kind of like I said in the past few episodes, bridging the gap between what has been the big three and everyone else. And if Coco gets another slam, two slams in a row, there you go. Like, so I would like to see that. Second, Sabalenka, who I actually think is going to win the tournament. Um, just because also it just helps drive the narrative of like, all right, you know, Sabalenka is here to stay she's won this tournament back-to-back years she's been consistently you know a tier one player um she's really turned a corner and is now at this point potentially chasing you know history in a way so i i would like that third yastremska because i guess i picked her why not (laughs) that would be that would be a crazy you know another qualifier coming through and winning a slam out of nowhere and then, uh, oh man, I hate doing, you know, Zang like this, yeah. but like, why not? She, someone's got to finish fourth. I like her. Her serve is very unusual. If you look at the technique of it, it's actually really interesting to see. I, I love technique. And like I say, there's, you know, I try to teach certain fundamentals, but there's no right or wrong way to do things. And uh, yeah, it's great that she's made it this far, but sorry, you finished fourth in my, uh, in my tier list here. Oh, I hate to be boring and pick the same as you. That's kind of oh. how I had my four going into it as well. I think I think I can kind of find my way to a path for being happy for each one of them, though. I think, you know, um, even just making the finals for for any of them. I mean, obviously, Sabalenka having already won um, finals would still be a great result for her. I don't think she'd be too thrilled about that, but. Um, it would be back-to-back finals for her. So I could still see a path where any one of them who makes it, I'd be pretty happy for them. I got to go Coco Goff one, just, you know, being a bit of a homer and supporting the Americans. Um, I, I, I really like Sabalenka and having watched 
break point and kind of getting a little bit more behind the scenes with her really made me appreciate her more. So yeah, she's, she's probably my two and I, it's a bit of a coin flip for Yastremska and Zhang. I think it's great seeing Chinese tennis represented at the top of the game again. And I think it's been 10 years since Li Na had, had won. So, um, you know, there would kind of be a, a cool, uh, end to that loop, that story there, um, if she were to win. And on the other hand, Yastremska and Ukraine and everything that Ukraine's going through with the invasion of Ukraine and everybody's been, um, the players have been very outspoken and I think that's amazing and a qualifier. I also, I don't know if you knew this, I I, I have to read more into it, but we talked about how Yastremska was formerly ranked as high as 20, uh, 21 in the world and she fell back. She actually got a doping ban from ITF that they then pulled back from and said that she was not at fault for it. So I I know I don't want to like, you know, misrepresent that story, but there is, there there might be some story to that. That's kind of interesting. Somebody who is now having to climb back into the rankings, having previously been world number 21 and getting back up into the top of the game and winning a grand slam after, you know, being banned. I mean, that's, that would, that would be a story. I'm sure somebody's going to write that article and tell that story. So, um, so yeah, I can make a case for each one of them, but I think I agree with your ranking there one through four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this kind of, you know, leads into like, you know, sort of our plans post grand slam coverage where we can get into stories like that of, you know, we, you know, of course we'll cover what's going week in week out, but we can devote a good, you know, fair amount of time to stories like that, which I think is definitely worth uh, looking into. Yeah, for sure. Well, that wraps up everything for the quarterfinals. Um, We got our picks in for the women's semifinals are going to be on in about two hours time. Um, I've got some editing to do to get this one out there. Um, It might be a little bit of old news, but that's okay. We still wanted to talk about it. Um, And I think now we're going to dive into the men's side. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Well, everybody stick with us for part two. And um, yeah, we're going to talk about the men's semifinals and make our picks for that. All right. See you guys soon. See ya. This is what these two do, just put smiles on people's faces.